it for me. I think most of us can appreciate where Peter is coming from. Think about this. He left everything to follow Jesus. He left his fishing business behind. He was one of the very first to follow Jesus. And he made huge sacrifices. But Peter appears to be motivated by the thought of receiving rewards for his sacrifice of devotion to Jesus. After all, he's been following Jesus for three whole years plus. So you can hear him saying, where is my reward in all of this? Shouldn't us original disciples who first joined you be favored? So Jesus then tells them this parable from Matthew 20. The kingdom of God, he said, is like a landowner. And he went out early in the morning morning to hire workers to harvest the grapes from the vineyard. Now, a typical working day is around 10 hours, not including the breaks. And so the first men hired were would have begun at 6 a.m., so basically dawn. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which back in those days was a good full day's wage for full-time people, an appropriate wage. Now, because it's the harvest season, the owner needs seasonal help. He needs extra help. So he goes back to the marketplace where people hang out and the central business district in any town. He went back at 9 a.m., finds... Men standing about doing nothing, and so he told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you what is right. And they agreed to work for him. The owner needs more workers, so he comes back again at noon, and then at 3 p.m. And then still more looking, uh, looking for more workers, he, the owner went out again, this time already 5 p.m. in the afternoon. And he still found others standing about. And he asked them, why have you been standing around all day doing nothing? And they said to the owner, well, no one's hiring us. So they're clearly willing, but no one's hiring them. The owner seems surprised that these men have not been hired during this busy season. The point is, no one seems to want them. But this owner, this kind owner, graciously hires them at 5 p.m. And he says, you also go and you work in my vineyard. Well, when evening came, the owner instructed his foreman to call the workers together and as the custom, pay them at the end of the day. This was the typical practice. But what the owner told the foreman to do next was not typical. He told the foreman to pay their wages beginning with the ones last hired, the 5 p.m. people. Normally, the first hired would be the first to be paid. But most shocking of all, those who were hired at 5 p.m. received a full denarius, a full generous day's Wage. They got a good deal, didn't they? Even though they had only worked at the end of the day. 
Well, of course, when the men who were hired first saw this, they immediately expected to be paid more than the 5 p.m. people. But as the workers got their wages, everyone from the last to the first hired were paid the same. One denarius. Well, of course, this is when all the grumbling and the complaining began to happen against the owner. So they said, the one you hired last only worked for an hour. They cried. You have made them equal to us. But we've been burdened with most of the work under the hot sun. You know, as we might say today, this is unjust. This is unfair. How could you give that money to those undeserving workers who only work a few hours and we work the whole ten hours sweating it out in the sun? Well, let's be honest. This is an irritating parable for us present-day readers. And I think most of us would sympathize with the first hired workers, right? I mean, after all, they were the ones who put in the time, all the time, the full day, sunrise to sunset. Yet their reward was exactly the same as the people hired at the end of the day. So the question is, what is Jesus trying to teach us through this parable? Well, first of all, let me just say what is, it is not teaching us, because this parable can be easily misunderstood. Uh, first of all, this isn't about fair employment practices, that everyone should be paid the same, doesn't matter how long you work. If you introduce that to your, your school or your government program or whatever you know, company you have, you will have anarchy, Right? You will have trouble. So that's not what it's teaching. This is not an employment program for owners. This is how you should do it in the kingdom of God. That would create huge problems. Neither is it saying that those who worked one hour pick as many grapes as those who worked for ten hours. It's not saying that the one-hour people were like speed workers, and so they worked as much as the ten-hour people. It's not like that. Neither is it saying that the latecomers were more than willing or just as willing as the 10-hour people. So they deserve the same. It's not about that either. Nor is it a message that all men are equal before God or that all kingdom work is equal. It isn't a message about that. So, what is the message here? What's the point of this parable? Well, I find basically three lessons in here. So, number one... Gratitude must be the compelling motivation for serving God. I'll say that again. Gratitude must be the compelling motivation for serving God. So when the first hired workers grumbled to the owner, he gave them a fair explanation. To one of them he said, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Got them, yep. And it was actually a generous amount for seasonal work. Now, the owner has been very gentle with them because of his wording. 
He calls them friend. He said, friend, this is what we agreed on. But the owner is also trying to correct an attitude that he senses. The wage was completely fair. Like I say, seasonal work. You're getting a full denarius on a full-time job. It was generous. In fact, if it were not for the owner coming out to even give them work, they would have nothing to show. The owner initiated it all. Take your pay and go. The worker should stop complaining. Instead, show gratefulness. With that payment, he has enough to supply the cares and needs of his family. In this parable, the owner represents God. And we are his workers in his kingdom. As his followers. We are his servants. And we need to think deeply about all that God has given to us and embrace God's generosity. Now think about this. Think deeply about this. What has he given you? He has has given us salvation. He has given us his love. He has given us his forgiveness. He has given us a personal relationship with God. With God the Father. And furthermore, he has given us his presence by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the focus of this parable, he has given us the privilege of working for him. It's an honor. Serving God in his kingdom as his chosen ones is an absolute honor and a privilege. That's the focus of the parable. Now Peter, going back to Peter, because remember this parable is really a response to Peter's grumpiness, right? Where is my pay in all this? Peter was one of the first ones, right? First disciples. Yep, he left a lot to follow Jesus. But instead of thinking deeply about what an honor it is to be with Jesus, and then to be called into his kingdom work, he is instead motivated by material rewards, just like this rich young man that we talked about last Sunday. He thinks his service to God deserved bonuses, extra rewards, some kind of honor. Outside of God's generosity, we have nothing. Now think about it this way. Uh, Theologians talk about common grace and special grace. Okay, Common grace is given to all people since the beginning of creation. Right? God gives to everyone rain and sunshine, crops, fish, animals, each other, air to breathe, jobs, even honor in our world. Right? That's common grace given to all people, no matter where they stand. Now through the gift of Jesus, 
and of and as many blessings, Christians receive what we call special grace. Okay? So we already have common grace. Now we're given special grace in Jesus. Grace we receive simply by saying, Lord, I need you, I need your help, and say, and we say, I trust you, I put my faith in you, and we receive his special grace. We receive Jesus. His presence and all the blessings that come with it. We didn't earn one iota of common grace or special grace. A response of gratitude and thanksgiving to Christ ought to be the compelling motivation for Christian service. Grace is freely given. It's not something that we can bargain with with God because we've served him longer or we've been a Christian for a gazillion years or something like that, right? Or I give more or whatever. God looks at the attitude and gratitude of our hearts. No matter how successful someone might appear, like that rich man, or like Peter, who thought he was the first and the privileged one to receive extra honor. Now, some of you might know the comedian uh, Conor O'Brien. He's a late-night talk show, and he was talking to another comedian by the name of Louis C.K. And uh, Louis talks about how he was on the plane that offered in-flight Wi-Fi. Do you remember the days when Wi-Fi came onto airplanes? Well, this is, this is that moment, right? And so Wi-Fi, internet access, came into the airplanes, and uh, he, you know, he was, happened to be on, the, on one of the first airplanes to offer this service. But then it broke down in a few minutes, and there was a man sitting beside him who began to swore in disgust. And Lewis, the comedian, was amazed, and he said to O'Brien on the talk show, how quickly the world owes him something that has only existed for 10 seconds. He doesn't have Wi-Fi, and it's like, oh, the whole airline owes it to him now. Well, Lewis then talked about how many of us describe less-than-perfect airline flights as if they're experiencing something from a horror film. Now, I know we've all gone through this, so, you know, have a good laugh. But anyway, it was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane, and they made us sit there on the runway for another 40 minutes. Then he said mockingly, oh, really? Did you just fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight? Everyone on every plane should be going, Oh my goodness, wow, you're sitting back in a chair in the sky. And then he mocks a passenger who, trying to push his seat back, complains, This seat doesn't go back far enough. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? We become ungrateful because we are spiritually forgetful. That's why I say we need to think deeply about what God has done for you and for me. 
Ephesians 1 says, through Jesus, he has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then Paul takes the time to lead you through many of those blessings. And basically that book is teaching you to live out of the generosity of Jesus, right? Paul is teaching us how incredible these blessings are in Jesus. Who we are in Jesus, what we have in Jesus ought to motivate you for grateful Christian service. Another lesson is this. Watch out for mixed motives within your heart. Watch out for mixed motives within your heart. Now, we are often tempted to do the right things with mixed motives. So in this parable, the ingratitude of the first hired workers matches the ingratitude and resentment of Peter. In the parable, the first hired workers, they begrudge the owner's generosity showered on these latecomers. They don't think the late hired workers in the vineyard are worthy of the owner's generous pay. Now why? They think they haven't earned it, basically is the issue. Peter and his disciples are like the first hired workers. They were close to Jesus. They sacrificed a lot to be with Jesus, three long years. But because of years of service, he believes he has earned preferential treatment and therefore resents this kind of generosity to these newbies. Haven't earned, you know, haven't we earned more rewards because we have done so much more for Jesus and we were the first ones? Doesn't three years of service give us something? So on the face of it, think about this. The disciples were doing good things, right? And so they sacrificed. They followed. They slept in places that weren't very comfortable. They obeyed Jesus and they followed him. They were doing right things. They made great sacrifices. We have left everything to follow Jesus. What then will there be for us? You see, Peter's displaying mixed emotions, mixed motives here. You know, I recall a hilarious episode on The Simpsons years ago. And Homer Simpson remembered that it was his wife's Marge's birthday. And he decided he's going to do the loving thing and buy his wife a birthday gift. So what does he do? He goes and buys her a bowling ball. Okay? So if you know the show, um, there is only one person that could possibly benefit from a bowling ball. Right? Homer Simpson. I don't think Marge cares about bowling one iota. Right? So... Yes, he gave a gift to his wife, but mixed motives, right? It's going to end up in the closet, and Homer Simpson's going to use that bowling ball. You know, it's kind of like me buying Cheryl for her birthday uh, tickets to see the Flames and the Oilers in the playoffs, right? Um, I could sit here, happy birthday, dear, open the envelope, and out comes these tickets to the Oilers and the Flames games, and she'll look at me, thanks, dear. 
And she knows they're for me, not for her, right? So good for me for buying a birthday gift, but mixed motives kill the whole thing, right? Sabotages the whole, what we thought, what I thought was a generous gift. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus confronted the religious leaders about this very thing. But Jesus uses a different word, but it's really the same thing. The word is hypocrisy. Okay? They were doing the right things for the wrong motives. So they prayed to God. Is praying to God a good thing? It's a great thing, right? But they did it to impress people. Because they prayed in public so all could see them. Is giving a good thing? Yes, it is. They gave their tithes. They gave their offerings. They helped the poor. They built the synagogues. But why did they do it? They did it for the praise of others, sabotaging their whole heart. And we, too, can fall into the same trap, doing the right things for the wrong motives. Let God take care of the rewards. Let God take care of the honor. Let's serve him from a pure heart, out of gratefulness for what he's done. Finally, number three, watch out for the spirit of envy and selfishness. Watch out for the spirit of envy and selfishness. Now, in this parable, the owner represents the generosity of God. And he gave fairly to the first hired workers. And he demonstrated incredible grace and generosity to people who others would not hire. We can't miss that. The owner asked the one still standing around at 5 p.m., why have you been standing around? Now, Jesus is not, you know, this is not an accusation of them being lazy. The workers explain themselves. Because no one has hired us. That's an important line. Okay? These idle workers represent what I think are the the have-nots of their town. People regarded them as the undeserved ones, the unworthy people of the community. But this owner, even in the last hour, graciously hires them. But as you know, at the end of the day, they were the first ones to be paid and paid a full denarius. So the parable is showing us not God's injustice, but how incredible God's grace and generosity is to people whom we or the world might regard as the unworthy ones. But the first hired workers are jealous. And so the owner said to them, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Right? It all belongs to him. And then there's this key line here. Or are you envious because I am generous? Is that quite the line? It shouldn't belong together, but it is. The word envious is actually means, literally means, do you have an evil eye? Do you have an evil eye when I'm being generous? 
I mean, when we hear generosity, we should say, hallelujah. Right? Thank God for his generosity. And yet these workers, the first hired, were jealous. If that's the case, then we deserve more. So the main issue here is self-centeredness. They're only thinking about themselves. They thought they deserved more. And they were not thinking about the generosity and intervention of the owner who graciously gave them jobs and gave everyone jobs. And particularly these last hired people. God is gracious to all of us, but God's generosity to the have-nots have led some people to cry foul. It's unfair. You know, the parable of the vineyard is very similar to the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, when you think about it. It carries exactly the same concerns. And so, you know the parable. The gracious father welcomes back his rebellious son. The son has repented of his sin, and the father greets him with compassion and love and full acceptance, and he showers him with gifts and even a celebration banquet, right? It is like the workers no one wanted to hire. And the real message of the parable comes later when the older son resents his father's generosity. And so the elder son is envious of the father's grace and generosity. He felt it was unfair because his younger brother was rebellious and he left home. In other words, undeserving. And then the elder brother says to his dad, I've been slaving you for all these years. I never disobeyed you. Right? Sounds like those first hired people, right? I worked you ten, ten hours. I gave it my all. And you throw a party for some rebellious kid like that. And the key is found at the end when the father says to the eldest son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Can you not celebrate with me? Because that's the whole point. We're trying to save and intervene people and mature them up in the faith. And so we need to be very careful with jealousy because we think God's grace is something that we can earn. God's grace is never earned. It's simply a free gift. God gives to anyone, I mean anyone, who humbles themselves before God like a helpless child, remember that, and receives Jesus. Says, Lord, I need you. And God showers grace upon those who humble themselves before him. Nothing earned, simply received in humility. Right? 
So in God's kingdom, in addition to intervening for us and saving us, God gives us each the privilege of serving him. He gives us spiritual gifts to serve him. And gratitude to God for his grace is what should motivate you in your everyday work, yeah, your everyday work, in your ministry work, according to the gifts God has given you. As soon as we get into our attitudes, I deserve this because of this, then we've gone off the rails. God has graciously given everything to us. And none of us, no matter how long you have known Jesus, or how many generations back your family has known Jesus, it doesn't mean one iota. Because it's all about the gift of Jesus Christ. Even if you are in a position, maybe you think to demand more, and you feel shortchanged, there is no room in God's kingdom for envy, for jealousy, and to barter with God for more. We're all going to look a little different in God's kingdom. Different gifts, different responsibilities. But we should be all motivated by the same. It is the grace of Jesus. In Jesus, God has given us every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And this alone ought to motivate us to love God and to serve God with all our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you something. Do you lack thanksgiving and joy in your life? Right? And if you do, um, God wants to help you. That's the cool thing. If you say, Lord, I lack joy, guess what he wants to do? He wants to give you joy, right? And you say, Lord, why am I not grateful? Bring it before him. And he will help you become more thankful. Humble yourselves before God. That's the number one thing. Ask God to give you a heart of gratitude. And then you've got to pay attention to what is true, right? So we talked about what is true. What is true is that God has given you everything. And His special grace in Jesus, He's given you even more, right? And so when we, uh, I talked about the word spiritual forgetfulness is when you forget all that stuff. And I think we forget is because we're not in his word. We're not abiding in Jesus. We're not growing in our prayer life. That's why we become spiritually forgetful, is because you and I as human beings, we need this constant feeding. Without constant feeding, then we, just, we lose it. Without constant feeding, we're basically saying, I'm going to lean on something else to bring me happiness. Another way to put it is to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the only way to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit is to understand it as a relationship with Jesus, and where you encounter him, where you live with him, where you pray to him, where you listen to him. There's no shortcuts. 
And it's all a gift that God gives to you. We just learn to be helpless children that cry out to God when we sense our weakness. Let me read you one short psalm, and then we'll be done. Psalm 86.15 But thou, O Lord, art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Apply that not only to you, but to everyone around you. God loves that nobody. Love them the same way. God loves you when you don't feel very good about yourself. Get filled up. That's when you need to be filled up, all right? So we can be grateful. And when we're grateful, we are far better servants. Well, let's pray. Lord, what a story. Um, I'm moved by it. And I trust your people are moved by it. Teach us to be grateful, Lord. You have given us everything in Jesus Christ. You have given us all of creation. But in Jesus, my goodness, we do have everything. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we haven't even reached the final end where there is so much more. And so, Lord, on this planet, on this earth, in your kingdom, as our ruler, as our king, may we serve you with joy, with thanksgiving, without a hint of envy or jealousy within our hearts. And, Lord, if we find it there, would you forgive us? Would we make things right with you? Restore the joy of our salvation so that we can serve you with complete undivided spirits and souls. May we please you, love you, and honor you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.